It was a beautiful Sunday morning on a golf course, and there was a golfer there on the very, very first tee going through his pre-routine shots, getting himself ready to drive on that first tee. And as he was on the tee, a voice was heard over the loudspeaker that said, with a gentleman on the ladies' tee, please, please move back to the men's tee. This golfer felt every eye on him, but he ignored what was being said and began to concentrate on his shot. Again, the voice comes over the loudspeaker. With the man on the ladies' tee, please move back to the men's tee. He was impervious to the situation, totally ignored what was being said, and now the guy, who was the starter on the loudspeaker, was really upset. He, he became intense, and he said, would the guy on the men's tee or ladies' tee move back to the men's tee? And the golfer shouted out, would the guy on the loudspeaker keep quiet while I'm hitting my second shot? <laughs> I've experienced that. Not the loudspeaker, but the embarrassment of a short drive. You know, sometimes things don't appear as they actually are. And I think that's true, the resurrection. If you have your Bibles, let me encourage you to open up to the book of Matthew. We'll have the verses on the screen as well. Matthew chapter 28, the portion of Scripture that Pastor Keith read a moment ago. You'll find the story of the resurrection in all of the Gospels, giving to us some various details, slightly different. There's no contradiction. It's as though... Watching an important event, you get four reporters to give their insight uh, into uh, what they experienced and what they viewed. Matthew tells us, after the Sabbath, which is Saturday, on the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Misogynists must have a horrible time with the narrative of the resurrection. Those who don't like women or feel that women shouldn't have a place in ministry need to read what happened that first Sunday morning. It's interesting, isn't it, that the Lord features the women in this story? It's only right. They were the ones who were at the cross. They were the ones also with the body when Jesus was buried in the tomb. The women were loyal, but the men were terrified. The women showed up the men had given up. When the women saw the evidence, they believed. When it was presented to the men, they said, this is nonsense. Until finally, they came to faith. So it's fitting, as William Barclay says, that the reward to receive the news of the resurrection first should go to the women it mentions Mary Magdalene here and the other Mary, Mary the mother of James. In the other passages, you can add Joanna and Salome as they came together to finish up what was hastily done. And that was the embalming of the body of Christ. He was covered with uh, strips of cloth. And then they often would put 75 pounds, the scripture talks about putting all of those spices on the body, basically to mummify it. And that was the amount that was used for a royal burying. Women came 
to finish the job. That was their goal. Verse 2, there was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. There were two earthquakes, actually, one when Jesus died and one when Jesus rose again. God loves to punctuate great events in history with amazing sounds and light shows. He displays in creation his glory, and he's got complete control. And that must have been an amazing time. Earthquakes don't happen that often in the Middle East. But they did that day, and there's going to be another great one when Jesus comes again, according to the book of Zechariah. But they announced that God was doing something amazing. It was a violent earthquake. And it says that the angel came down and rolled back the stone and sat on it. I can't read this without thinking. An angel with attitude. (laughs) So there. How are you going to deal with this? I think the Lord has fun in accomplishing his purposes, whether it's creation or redemption. And there's the angel. And the angel is described in verse 3. His appearance was like lightning, bright, awesome, sudden. And his clothes were as white as snow. Occasionally, even a white tux. (laughs) Verse 4 says, The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. I like the New Living Translation. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Can't you see it? Eyes rolled back, body just goes down. These are hardened soldiers who've endured battle and training, and they are overcome with the sight of this brilliant supernatural being. I'm not sure they knew what it was, except they couldn't contain it. They couldn't process it. And they fainted with fear. These guards had a boring security job. But I'm sure they were shaking more than the earth was when the angel showed up. Because God's going to do something amazing. And that's where the words of the angels give us some great direction for our own worship on an Easter Sunday like this. The first words, come and see. Verse 5, the angel said to the woman, don't be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. It's a great message, isn't it, that Christianity proclaims, Jesus himself proclaims time and time and time again, do not fear. When is that appropriate? Every day of my life. It's appropriate during a time like COVID. It's appropriate during a time of of ill health, whether it's you or someone in the family. It's, It's appropriate all throughout our lives. It's appropriate when we think we might lose our job and all we can think about is what's going to happen and we're filled with fear. And while living a human life will never eliminate all of those times of anxiety, we're told that when our eyes are 
placed upon Jesus Christ, there's a wonderful peace that comes into the soul, a peace that passes all understanding. My peace I give to you, Jesus said, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be what? Troubled, and we are such a troubled people. On this Easter Sunday in the year 2023, so much around us is troubling. We are perplexed. We want to faint dead away. But Jesus lives. And here's the message. Come and see for yourself. Investigate. Check it out. I know it's so staggering as to be beyond belief, too good to be true, but it's true, the angel says. Check it out. And that's exactly what the women did. Fear is going to be confronted by the facts. The empty tomb is one of the greatest facts in Christian history. It was a while ago, I think in the year 1981, that uh, some people in China found a bone that was supposed to be from the body of Buddha. They actually had found this, and it was during the uh, Tang Dynasty, and somehow it got misplaced, but it was discovered in the 1980s, and a big thing was made about it, and Buddhists came from all over to see the bone. That's really sad. If someone comes up and says, I have the bones of Jesus, slap them in the face. Well, maybe not do that, but just understand that that is totally wrong because Christianity is built on an empty tomb. And the very thing that shook all the disciples when they got there early in the morning is the very thing that ought to increase our faith. He is risen just as he said. He told you at least three different times, not the women maybe, but the men, and they still didn't get it. Clueless. Like most of us today, so slow to understand what God is doing. So slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. So slow to embrace the word of God. John tells us in chapter 20 that in this empty tomb were the cloths that had been around the body of Jesus, but then a linen napkin, as it were, that was neatly folded that had been over the face of Christ. I've been trying to find out if, if this is accurate, and I haven't found out yet, but I heard a story, so take it for that, that uh, in Hebrew there was a custom that if a master was getting up from dinner, he left the table and he rumpled up his napkin and left it on the table, that meant he wasn't coming back. But if he neatly folded the napkin and got up and left, it meant he's coming back. Now, if that is true, the folded napkin proclaims he's coming back. At least it declares this was intentional. It didn't just happen, and they couldn't explain how he would have got out of the mummification status, but that was all the work of the angel and the work of the power of God. By the way, Jesus said in John chapter 10, I have the power to lay down my life and I have the power, power to take it up 
again. He was in complete control. Come and see. The book of Psalms says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Check it out. You know, when you go buy a car, you usually take it for a spin. I guess things are changing nowadays. You buy it online, sight unseen. I could never do that. I have to kick the tires, even though I don't know what that means. I have to look for rust. I have to drive it to see if it feels right. And I was sold on a car once, and then I drove it, and I said, no way am I buying that thing. Why don't you try Jesus? He's the one who invites you to try. The angel's the one who invites you to come and check it out. Look at the evidence. Many infallible proofs tell us that Jesus is alive. All the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus Christ, I think on 11 different occasions as recorded in the scripture, from just one person like a Mary Magdalene to over 500 people at the same time. Repeated times with the disciples. Check it out. His word is true. You know, I don't like just reading about something I like experiencing something, don't you? I mean, there's a different level in head knowledge and life experience. I mean, you go to a restaurant and you look at the menu, you don't leave and say, boy, that was good. I now know what you're serving. I love the way the lobster's prepared. Those spices must be, no, you say, give me that. Let me test it and see. Because a meal is better than a menu. And a mechanic is better than a repair manual. And our orchestra is better than just looking over sheet music. And coming to Christ and experiencing his grace and his mercy and his peace for yourself is better than just reading about it. Come and see. Come and see. Look at the place where he lay. The second thing the angel told them is found in uh, verse seven, go and tell. So after he tells them to come and investigate, now he wants them to go and communicate. Once you know it to be true and embrace it with your soul, you want to share the good news with others. Verse 7, then quickly go and tell his disciples he's risen from the dead. He's going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him. Now I have told you. The angel delivers his message. You know, when you are convinced in your heart that something is true, and it has radically touched your soul, it's almost impossible not to tell others. I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story because I know it's true. It satisfies my longing in everything I do. And that's exactly what she was, uh, the ladies were going to do. They were going to tell the story 
If you read in the other gospel accounts, it didn't go so well at first. But their hearts had been touched and changed, and they had to tell others. Here again, it's the difference between knowing and knowing. Head knowledge and heart change. I remember a story one time. Apparently, it's a true story of a hotel. Ever been in a hotel where the fire alarm goes off in the middle of the night? And so what do you normally do? Turn over. (laughs) Right? I mean, how often? Look at percentages. How often do hotels catch fire? Pretty rare. Someone just must have bumped it, you know, so you just stay in bed. I've done that. And then I had someone come knocking on my door and say, no, this is real. And you know what I did? I ran out of there as quick as I could. I think I got my wife. Yeah. (laughs) We ended up down outside the hotel together. So that was, but if you believe it's true, you're going to do something about it, Right. Not like the guy who said, hey, I didn't start the fire and rolled over and went back to sleep. Not my fault. If you know Jesus is alive, that's one thing. If in your heart you're convinced he is alive, that's another thing. And you love to tell the story. But then there's something else. And this is displayed in the lives of the women. I think it's the very thing that God wants to see in our lives when we embrace this story. We are to live with joy. So there is the investigation, and then there is the communication, the sharing of the message, and now the transformation from fear to faith. Verse 28, so the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy. Isn't that an interesting combination? The Bible talks about rejoicing and trembling in the same breath. I think part of it is the idea that this is so awesome and so beyond me, I am just amazed. And yet it fills me with joy. Same expression is going to be given at the end of Luke chapter 24, where the disciples were still afraid but filled with joy. I think it's a sense of awesome respect and wonder and worship. It's the idea of now being totally transformed by a truth that has grabbed hold of your heart and the rest of life can never be the same. That's why the word conversion is a good word. When someone believes on Christ and receives Christ as Savior, they become new creatures in Christ. And then that's where the word conversion starts because conversion is to change over and to make things new. And that's exactly what the Lord does in a believing heart. It's interesting that this Greek word, Cairo is used sometimes as a greeting. In fact, Jesus is going to use this as a greeting in verse 9. Isn't that interesting? Instead of saying, hi, hello, hey, Jesus says, rejoice. Very first words out of his mouth. It's a command. 
It's a present active imperative command, which means you need to keep doing it. All of life should be this rejoice. You find the word around 73 times in the New Testament. Rejoice and be glad, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. In the book of Philippians, rejoice always. And if you didn't get it the first time, I say it again, rejoice. It's a bit of a paraphrase in there. Rejoice always and again, I say rejoice. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you, that you be joyful. Joyful. Joy needs to fill the soul. Not fear, but joy. And then Revelation chapter 19. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding supper of the Lamb is about to take place. If you don't know what that means, the Lamb refers to Jesus and in the end times, he's going to have a great feast for all believers as we gather together. And what a great feast that's going to be. So let us rejoice. Hasn't happened yet, but it's going to. How do I know? Jesus came out of the tomb as he said. If someone can pull that off, I believe everything else they said as well. Jesus said, I'm coming back, and he is. Jesus said, I'll save everyone who calls out to me, and he will. Jesus says there's going to be a great supper, so rejoice, and we must. Rejoice always, and again I say rejoice. So as they ran to tell his disciples, look at verse 9. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. Rejoice. And they grasped his feet. And they worshipped him. There was the mystery of the empty tomb and the body was gone. And for a period of time, they didn't know where he was. Someone thought maybe the gardener had taken him. But now they see him. And they worship him. You see, there's a transformed life filled with joy and worshipping God. Before I came to Christ, those were two things that were not dominant. Filled with joy and worshiping God. That's Easter Sunday morning. That's what it's all about. John Stott said the Christian's chief occupational hazards are two. Depression and discouragement. I'm not sure of the real difference between the two. Because they always seem to go together. But the Savior wants the resurrection to totally transform us. When we believe and we share, now let's rejoice and worship. Sometimes, and by the way, this idea of rejoice is a command often in the scripture. Sometimes you and I need a jump start. You say, well, isn't joy a feeling? Sometimes you have to focus on it. Sometimes you have to determine that you're going to trust God and be filled with joy until it becomes a reality. I remember a few years back when the Detroit Lions football team was not doing very well. <laughs> There's hope. I've said that every year. But they had a campaign called 
restore the roar. Remember that? And it was another lousy year, but well intended. Restore the roar. But when I read in Psalm 51, the psalmist David says, restore the joy. Restore the joy of my salvation. That's good prayer. Are you filled with the joy of God's saving grace? Are you filled with the joy of the resurrection? Then if not, O oh Lord, restore the joy that I might go forward and share the good news of Christ. Quickly, I just want to say a little bit about the guards. These are interesting guys. The angel said to the women, go and tell, and apparently the guards heard that much because in verse 11, that's exactly what they did. While the women were on the way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priest everything that had happened. And when the chief priests had met with the elders, they devised a plan, and they paid off the soldiers with a large amount of money. And here was the plan. You were to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away, took him away while we were sleeping. <laughs> Try that in a court. You say they took the body. Yes. You saw it. No, I was sleeping. I mean, who put this together? The Keystone Cops? The Three Stooges? I mean, this is ridiculous. But get this. Verse 14, this report, if it comes to the governor Pilate, we will handle him. <laughs> We've handled him once to get Christ crucified. We've got political ways to handle him. Because these guards, as Roman soldiers, would have been executed if a prisoner got away, if they didn't accomplish their purpose, which was guarding the tomb. This, the disciples as we mentioned, were so frightened, they never would have done this. So the soldiers took the money, verse 15, as they were instructed, and this story has been circulating among the Jews 33 years later when Matthew was written, or 30 years later. I would say to you, the same story is circulated thousands of years later. You know why we believe dumb stuff? To cover our sin, we will not have this man rule over us. Show me all the proofs that Jesus is alive. And some people will have to say, yes, it's true, but I will not surrender to him. I wonder if you're in that situation. Nothing has been more clearly declared with eyewitness evidence than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Watchman Nee tells us our old history ends with the cross. Our new history begins with the resurrection. Things have forever changed when you know Jesus. Isn't that a great message? There was a, a lady uh, in Holland, Michigan, who was teaching a group of kindergartners about creation, Sunday school class. And so after several weeks about talking about creation, they decided to review. So the teacher said, okay, tell me what God created or what happened on the first day. And one little girl said, uh, God created light. Absolutely right. She said, well, what 
happened on the second day. And someone else said, well, God created sky. Absolutely. And what happened on the third day? And a little boy raised his hand and said, and on the third day, he rose again from the dead. (laughs) The Old Testament and the New Testament intersect, but not quite at that point. But isn't that a great message to have? On the third day, he rose from the dead. If this is not true, let's stop playing church. But because it is true, may we give it our life, our heart, and our all. Heavenly Father, there are some people here today who have never trusted Christ, I'm guessing, And maybe today you've brought them here for that very purpose, to be confronted with the empty tomb and the miracle of the resurrection. Your death on the cross to pay for our sin and the resurrection to prove that that atonement was received by the Father in heaven and all who put their faith and trust in thee are forgiven forever. I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus said. The one who believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Oh, I pray that some will today. And may all of us who name the name of Christ rejoice because you, Lord Jesus, are alive. Amen.